what's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate, and you know what we're doing, right? You know, every single week we're bringing to you a few different things, because really Living Corporate is, it's one podcast, quote unquote, but there's like multiple content series on our podcast, right? So like on Tuesdays, we have Real Talk Tuesdays. That's where we have like these long form conversations, like the one we're about to get into uh, today. And then on Thursdays, we have Tristan's Tips. So those are like, you know, one, two minute career tips. And then on uh, Saturdays, we switch it up and we either have See It To Be It with Amy C. Weininger, where that's like we go into like someone's role, right? How they do their job. Typically a black or brown person, always a black or brown person, actually. And then we also have the link up with Letitia. Uh, we have some news about the link up with Letitia. I'm exciting news, but I'm going to wait on it. But I'm just saying, like, be excited. Ask, you know, ask Letitia about what's going on with the link up with Letitia. Um, let's uh, let's get some uh, let's get some hot goss going on. <laughs> I can't even say hot goss. I don't know. I don't know. It's just a funny term. Hot goss. But yeah, no, ask her about, you know, what I'm saying y'all know Letitia. Um, hit her up on Twitter. Ask her what's going on with the link up with Letitia. Ask her what's 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 new with that. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So look, like I said, every single week um, on Tuesdays, we're coming at y'all with some real, real content. And this Tuesday is no different, right? We have Chris Michelle. Chris Michelle is the head of diversity and inclusion. America's at Bloomberg LP, a senior HR executive with significant experience in leading talent management programs in multinational organizations, extensive familiarity, familiarity, come on now, with global diversity and inclusion matters in addition to a proven track record of success in broad-based talent initiatives, including employee resource group management, recruitment, training, community engagement, program development, and senior management advisement. Strong interpersonal skills with the ability to positively influence outcomes. So look, the next thing you're going to hear is me talking to Chris and like, yo, I'm really thankful and excited for this conversation because, and you'll hear me say this, like, I just was expecting some, I don't know, you know, people be kind of Hollywood on you. You know, they kind of come on, especially when they like formally represent their companies. They can be kind of, you know, just not as authentic. And I try to push them. Y'all hear me try to push them. But sometimes they're not really pushable, but I'll be trying. Anyway, uh, that's not the case with this conversation. I'm really thankful and excited for the fact that he was able to come on, be real. And uh, I'm excited about uh, hopefully having him back. He's definitely a friend of the show. Shout out to Chris. And uh, yeah, next thing you'll hear will be our conversation. And until next time, we'll see y'all. Peace. Chris, man, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us, man. How are you and your loved ones doing during this time? I'm doing well, and and the family's good. You know, we uh, we're fortunate that um, you know we're here in the city, but New York City, but nothing nothing untoward has happened to us uh, in the last six or you know four or five months, and so we're we're very fortunate that we're we're all well during this time. That's a blessing. So so let's let's talk a little bit about your work and the climate at this moment, right? So like, I'm curious to get your perspective on why you think yep. there's been this collective call to consciousness regarding black equity and justice today in ways that have really dwarfed previous instances of black folks getting murdered by the police. Like, why, why do you think this moment is so unique? Yeah. So, you know, I think what's interesting about this is, is that, you know, people, it did, like you said, this is not the first time people have seen the murder of a black man or a black woman on video. Right. But what is different about this time, in my opinion, is in the murder of George Floyd, what we saw was that the man at the center of all of it was at a point where our system is supposed to take over. George Floyd was handcuffed. Mm -hmm. He was prone. The police officer was sitting on his neck or three, you know, two others that we didn't see were sitting on his neck. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, or, and, but, but in that moment, 
I think we saw the lack of humanity that mm-hmm. black folks have been trying to insist has been taking place in terms of these, these interactions between police and black people for a long time. And so that particular incident, again, our system was supposed to have taken over, right? George Floyd was prone. He was not moving. He was not a threat yet. Mm-hmm. Derek uh, uh, Chauvin, I guess his last name was, mm-hmm. sat there. And even in the face of people begging him to get off of Mr. Floyd's neck, you could just see in his face at that moment that lack of humanity, that moment he decided to play judge, jury, and executioner. And it was, again, it was, I think, white people saw the truth in what we've been saying for years in that one moment. And, you know, I think that the the pandemic and the politics of the moment have all come together right now to really get people who are in the majority population to see that, you know, you know, what we've been saying for a long time might actually have some legitimacy. And so because of that, I just think that this this particular catalyst has been very different. I think people's eyes have really been opened. Um, there was no gray area, right? You know, some of those videos that we've seen in the past, you know, somebody who wanted to doubt could say, well, why did they run from the police or why did they fight? There was no fight. George Floyd was on the ground. He was handcuffed at that point. He should have been taken to jail and processed and judged by a jury of his peers. But that police officer refused to do so. And again, I think the truth, our truth came out in that moment. And that's why people are reacting very differently than they have in the past. I mean, let's stay there because you've been in this space for well over a decade. I'm not calling you old. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But you've operated, you know, again, in this executive leadership capacity. Right. And I think about. One, I think about like living corporate as a platform, right? And we don't, we have black men who've been on the platform. We've had a couple of like Latinx men as well, but like we don't typically have a lot of black male executives on our platform. And, mm-hmm. you know, like straight up, Chris, like I've had conversations with folks offline. They're like, look, you know, love what you're doing. I appreciate it. It's a little too radical for me. I need to mm-hmm. make sure I take care of whatever, whatever. But, I, you know, I, I have discussion. I have mentors, mm-hmm. of course, as well. And we talk about the fact that like, and if this is not, exclusive to black men black women face this and then some but i'm talking as a black man because that's that's who i am and that's i'm talking mm-hmm. to you another black man right so but like i think about the higher you get like that tightrope and that safety net gets smaller and smaller and that tightrope seems to get even more and more narrow and i think about the fact that you you know i'm, I'm projecting a little bit because i'm making assumptions about just as i read things ellen mcgurt's written pieces about you know in fortune magazine she's written pieces about being black a black executive i'm just curious Considering that you typically are moving in these majority white spaces, how do you feel diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging is shifting in this moment as a response? And do you think it's just a moment or do you think there's something more to this that's longer lasting? Yeah. So, you know, I I think the moment is actually spurring a movement. Right. You know, when I first came into the workforce, you know, and again, like you said, I'm not old, but I'm not young either. (laughs) When I first came into the workforce, you know, there was no place for a discussion of politics or race or religion or or sexual orientation. You know, you just weren't supposed to talk about those things. Right. You were supposed to come in, do your job and leave all of that stuff at home. And, you know, companies can't do that anymore. Right. We have to address these human characteristics, which is why people like me have a job. Right. Because, you know, when I think about our organization, our organization is made up of all different backgrounds. And we address not just the questions about race. We address questions about 
um, sexual orientation, disability status, whether or not you served in the in the armed forces, gender, you know, all of these things make up our workforce and they make up our, our customer and client population, right? So we, we have to, as an organization, really consider that, right? So when you think about this particular moment, you know, it is a chance now for us to really sort of push on this notion that, you know, these differences that we all have really do make us stronger. You know, one of the things I've been really encouraged by is, and, you know, this sort of goes back to your first question, is it's not just black folks out in the street marching, right? right. I mean, if you right. look at these, these protests, I mean, hell, look at Portland. Portland, it you is know, crazy Portland is 5% black people live there, right? This, I mean, you're talking about the population, 5% black people. It is mind-blowing. Exactly. You're talking about 61 straight nights of protests, I think it is at this point. Yeah. And, and there's no black people there, right? It is so, incredible. Yeah. So, so I think that a number of different people of different backgrounds, different walks of life, different dimensions of diversity are realizing more and more that, you know, our differences make us stronger, really, as a people. And so, you know, that that really does translate into our workplaces. And so, you know, I really do think that this moment. Right. And, and it's God knows it's unfortunate that the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery had to occur or did occur, but it is a catalyst. It's almost like, uh, you know, Emmett Till, right? You know, it's, right. it's terrible what happened to Emmett Till, but Emmett Till really was the catalyst for a lot of the gains that we saw in the 60s, right? Even right. though, you know, it was the 50s when he was killed, you know, it was a lot of the movement began sort of at that point. Mm -hmm. And I think that George Floyd's death is no different a catalyst. It is a real catalyst for us to turn that moment into a movement. And we're seeing, again, a much broader based coalition of people coming together to say, you know what, we need to make changes in our society. And again, you know, does the fact that we have been cooped up for three months in the house prior to this happening have something to do with it? Quite possibly. Um, does the fact that, you know, we are more politically divided as a nation than maybe we've ever been, or maybe we've been since you know the, the middle 1800s right i think that may have something to do with it too but I, I certainly do believe that this moment is spurring a movement you know it's interesting you talk about emmett till and i didn't even i did not even think about this chris is that and I, I imagine you can relate to this is that my grandfather is older than emmett till would be today mm, mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying yeah, absolutely. Because there's this narrative that like these things were such a long time ago. It's like it's less than a human lifetime ago, right? No, absolutely. I mean, if I think about it, you know, I was born a year after Martin Luther King was assassinated. So, wow. so I was born in the decade that you know all of this huge change took place in the right. country, right? Civil rights movement, blah blah blah. I mean, it was it was you know six years before I was born that you know two white men and a brother were were killed in Mississippi for uh, advocating for voters rights that's only six years older than me right? right and so you know this stuff is not <laughs> it's not you know old right so it's interesting i don't know if you've seen this you know you go around social media and you see there's this graphic right and if you look at it it's like there's a there's like a red it's like a bar yes, right it looks exactly like what talking about. yes you know what i'm talking about <laughs> yes and it's like all this time right there's been jim crow and segregation and slavery blah blah but but it's only the last you know 50, 50 something years, years yeah that we've had sort of, you felt like we've had sort of the full on right of, of our, on paper, correct, <laughs> of all of our, our, our fellow citizens. And, and we're still fighting for it. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you caught some of the funeral and yeah. some of the eulogy yeah. that Obama delivered. Mm -hmm. 
but you know we're fighting this stuff today like it was my mom you know my mom was a marcher in the 60s right and you know she was fighting the same stuff then and we're still fighting it today it's wild so like you know so shout out to dr jason johnson we had him on but we were talking about like the cyclical nature of history right like you know things just kind of repeat and like I remember when I was in college, because, you know, I was late to the game. I remember my history teacher in college, black man, he was ranting about, like, at the time, I felt like he was just going crazy hard about the fact that, you know, the civil rights legislation that was passed in the 60s was really just a double click on the rights that we should have gotten during Reformation. Right. And so, like, now, to your point, and like to President Obama's eulogy, to the words he spoke, he was talking about voting rights. And restoring yeah. the rights, right? <laughs> it's, Absolutely, it's just nuts. Like I'm, I'm and I'm laughing. I'm la- It's almost like you laugh to not cry, but it's like, right. it's like we're eulogizing a man who got his head bashed in for rights that are we're fighting to reestablish right. in the most critical election season of my lifetime. Absolutely, uh, right. Let's talk about this. You're less than 18 months at Bloomberg. Right? I looked at your LinkedIn. I peeped game. All right. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. you know, most executives, they come in with a 100 day plan or some type of like medium or short sprint for what they're going to accomplish to kind of shape things around. How, if at all, how you initially planned on doing this work has shifted in light of the confluence of events we're talking about with the economy impacted by a global pandemic related mm-hmm. to global anti-racist protests around the world as a result of the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all these Ahmaud Arbery and the countless black trans and non-binary folks have been murdered. Like what, if at all, has this moment done to your personal planning and goals coming into a new organization as an executive? Yeah, it's only accelerated it. When I came to the company, when I came to Bloomberg, it's funny, you know, the, the, I had a chance to sit down with our chairman um, maybe about a week into my, my tenure and we sat down and we met and he said to me, he said, you know, look, what do you think we need to do more of? What do you think we need to do better? And representation was a big part of it. Right. So, you know, we need more women in the top of our organization. And this is nothing that I'm not talking out of school here. Most organizations need more women at the top of their organization. Sure. Most organizations need more people of color at the top of their organization. Most organizations need to think about how they engage with their LGBT and with their disability and their veteran populations. And, and we, you know, we do that to different degrees across those different populations. But what I said to him specifically was, you know, we need to push harder on black and Latinx execs in our organization, people at the top, people leading in our organization. And right. he said to me, you know what, you're hundred percent right. And so, you know, the great thing is Bloomberg has has really given us the platform to push hard on all of that, but specifically on identifying and accelerating black and Latinx talent. Now, as we came to this, you know, inflection point of the murder of George Floyd, it only allowed us to accelerate. You know, I, I've said this a bunch of times at work over the last couple of months. You know, look, th- we didn't just start talking about race. Right it is now easier for us to have more of these candid conversations because, you know, all of us are having these candid conversations, but we didn't just start talking about it. So if nothing else, it's helped us really accelerate and push the gas pedal even harder to really put things in place to drive equity for all different backgrounds in our organization. But it, again, it has allowed us to really put a laser focus specifically on those two populations. You know, it reminds me of the fact that, you know, more and more articles are being published right now about how 
millennials and Gen Z professionals are engaging their work and their workplace compared to Gen X and baby boomers, specifically around like fulfillment and social justice and work life balance or more transparently like work life blend. Like double clicking on that, do you think there's like a generational divide like within the black working cohort? So I kind of alluded earlier, I don't talk to a lot of black male executives on the record on Living Corporate. And, you know, typically it'll be kind of like a man, you brave or wow, this is really cool that you're doing this right. But most times the feedback I get is like, look, just keep your head down, stack your paper and you can help your you can help your people in other ways by the money that you make. But don't go around creating trouble for yourself or making waves. And I think to me, there's some tension there because then you got this younger generation. um, And I think I think it's short sighted and ignorant to say that. Like that, like this generation is more of an activist generation than than others, because that's not we just got in talking about the cyclical nature of history. So that's not true. Yeah. 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 But, but but I do think, though, when it comes to like this in this professional context, this corporate context, there seems to be a headbutting of sorts there. Do you think there's any like veracity to that? You know, somewhat. I think there's some validity there. I do think that our younger generations, I think, expect more and expect more sooner. And I don't Mm. think that's just black necessarily. Right. I think that's across the board when you talk about the younger generations. Right. Gen Gen Z and millennial. But, you know, talking about, you know, the, the history being cyclical. If you think about the boomers, the boomers is my mom's generation. Right. Those are the people that stood up and marched in the 60s and agitated and pushed for more for us. Right. 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 and, and and those of us, so me, right, in Gen X, we were able to take advantage of that. And, you know, it's funny, right? So I sit and I deal with a lot of younger uh, black employees. Some of them come to me for mentorship. Some of them I, come to, I deal with them just in the course of my work. And, and I don't have to tell them necessarily to slow down or to not fight for what they want. In fact, what's interesting is I will tell them, because this has benefited me in my career, you know, I think you got to raise your hand. I think too often we as black people in particular Hmm. have been sort of schooled, like you said, right? Put your head down, you know, work hard. And we have to do that work hard part, right? The work I think is table stakes, but you know, we have to advocate for ourselves as much as anything else, right? So I I really do advocate and tell people, listen, you know, you got to let people know who you are. You got to tell them what you want, because if you don't tell them what you want, they're not going to know. So related to some of the earlier conversation, you know, one of the big discussions we've been having, and, and you've probably heard this in doing some of these podcasts, you know, is I've heard a lot of black employees in organizations, not just ours, saying things like, You know, I shouldn't have to tell you how to solve for racism. I shouldn't have to, you know, tell you and speak until, you know, white people in power. I shouldn't have to tell you what to do here. And while we certainly can't solve for racism or discrimination, we don't sit in the power structure that way as black people. Right. But we certainly can speak up about what's wrong. If we sit back and kind of, you know, cross our arms and say, well, I'm not going to say anything. How do the people in power know what it is that needs to be fixed? And more, mm. moreover, why would they attempt to fix it, right? Because it, it's not benefiting us, it's benefiting them. So why would they fix it, right? So right. I like the advocacy of this younger generation. <laughs> I do think that in some sense, you know, there has to be a recognition that things don't happen overnight, right? Look, if I could go to any workplace I've ever been, snap my fingers and make all of our underrepresented population make them, you know, leaders of people and put them at, of course I would do that. Right. But that's not realistic. Right. There's a process. There's a time that it takes 
But, you know, I don't mind that advocacy. I don't mind that, you know, pushing for more. I think that's important because we as black people seem to be traditionally the group that hasn't done that. And so I'm okay with actually that being the case. Push for more. Ask for what you want. You know, be that person that is looking to get more out of the career and your experience in an organization. So, like, to your point, I think. hmm, So I agree that. You know, we have more power even now. Right. Even while our humanity is being challenged and we see it in a variety of different ways. Right. I would say, frankly, like the historic oppression of black and brown people speaks to the very power that we have, because Mm. if we didn't have power, there wouldn't be such a consistently oppressive effort to take it away. So, yeah, I agree that we have more power than we realize oftentimes. And I think we do cede that power when we cross our arms and don't speak up. At the same time, I'm curious your thought on the idea that we have also seen what can happen either, you know, immediate or over time, passive or active backlash Mm -hmm. when people do raise their hand and call out what is wrong. So I think my challenge to you in the position that you sit is, like, how do you mitigate that? Because there's legitimate fear sure, that folks have in speaking up. And I recognize there's ways to do it and on the respectability. I get that. I get that. But I'm curious to get your reaction to that thought. Yeah. So, look, it's my job, right, to set up systems and to set up an environment where our people and all of our people, right, not just black people, of all of our people are empowered to engage with their managers and empowered to point out, hey, something's wrong here and we need to fix this. One of the great things about working at Bloomberg is that we're a very flat organization, right? So there's not this crazy hierarchy where, you know, there's all the execs sit up on the 30th floor and you got the special (laughs) elevator to get there. Like, we're not built like that. We're built where if I need to go and speak to Peter Grau, I could literally go and walk by his desk and if he's there, I can just say, hey, Peter, got a second, right? So, So we're set up at Bloomberg to be collaborative and to have access to those people who can make decisions and to offer up a good idea or to point something out when you see them. Now, again, it's my job to really enhance that, right? To make uh, our black employees or our Latinx employees or our gay employees feel like they have the ability to do that. Because to your point, right, there is a fear, right? That if you become the nail that's standing up, you get knocked back down. Right. Right. But right. What we're doing is trying to work to create an environment that that's not the case, right? The nail uh, or the squeaky wheel, put it to, you know, use that metaphor, is addressed. And if there's an issue, we try to adjust. We try to address that issue such that it is not an issue anymore where our people feel we have an inclusive environment. You know, we've talked a little, a lot, actually, frankly, about time and experience you know you do sit in a place where there are a few of black and brown folks to your point not to mention gay and trans non-binary folks but um, but you you sit in a unique place as you look back you know if you could go back and tell 25 year old chris three things what would those three things be huh (laughs) well so so interestingly from a work perspective I've been pretty fortunate that I I've always been one to sort of stand up 
and advocate for equity and advocate for underrepresented groups. Like, I guess that's why I do what I do today. So I, I've, yeah. I've never really had that fear and I don't know why I'm not saying everybody should, but that's just been something I've been fortunate to be able to kind of overcome. You know, I think what I would tell the younger me is, is really more sort of on a personal level. And I think this, this will help you from a professional standpoint. The first thing I would say is, you know, I, I would think back around just being more responsible with money and credit, right? I think, mm. you know, you know, I came out of school and it was like I started making a little money and, you know, you start spending money on silly things and you get, you know, they give you 15 credit cards because now you have earning potential. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I, I, I would go back and say, hey, man, that's that's not smart, right? Because it's going to take you time to build that back up because you are going to screw it up. The second thing I would say and this is going to sound specific, but, you know, I think, again, it has a bearing kind of on longer term. Don't get engaged to that girl. <laughs> um, and, and I say that only because, you know, look, you're, you're trying to build a career. You know, people are having children at an older age now. There, there's no and I talk about I talk to my kids about this. I talk to cat, people I menti, uh, mentor about this. You know, there's no rush to start on kind of the adult part of your life. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. so take the time, build your career. You know, my, one of the great things about my wife and she, you know, she kind of has a similar sort of outlook on life. She's always telling my daughter, look, if you get married before 30, you and I got problems. <laughs> and, and so, you know, it's, it's really about establishing yourself, you know, knowing what you want out of life, you know, right. knowing what you would like to do in your career. And that's, you know, that's not easy to do when you're like 22, 23 years old, cause you're still kind of trying to figure it out. Right. It's true. Um, so the third thing I would say is maybe go back to school, right? I look at my own career and, and, you know, I've gotten pretty far without the benefit of a graduate degree. But I wonder, you know, if I've gotten this far without it, you know, would I have been able to go a little bit further if I had it, right? And, and mm -hmm. so, you know, extra education is never a bad thing. You know, I, I find this moment where this sort of anti-intellectualism that we're seeing right now. I, I just think that's terrible. And, and, and the other thing I'll tell you what's interesting, I was, I was at a panel discussion some months back at Bloomberg and we were talking and, and there was some advocate who came in and his position was, well, you know, you don't need to necessarily go to college to be successful. And, you know, college is too much in it. And, you know, I think that's a dangerous statement, for, especially for black people. I super right? agree. You know, that's, that's, a, still, that's a wild, reckless to say. <laughs> absolutely. We still have to cross a much higher bar, mm -hmm. right, to break into places like Bloomberg, or places mm -hmm. like you know, some of the other, you know, Fortune 1000, big corporations. You know, we have to clear that bar. And if we don't have that base credential of a college degree, it's going to be that much easier for us to be excluded. Exactly. So yeah. I, I always push back against people who, you know, can, you've heard this a lot, like in the last couple of years, like, yeah, you know, you don't need college. And nah, I don't that's buy a, that. That's a wild. It's just such a wild privilege. It's like it, it speaks. It speaks to privilege. Right. Because I've had these discussions with executives in the context of my job. And I've been like, look, when people talk about the future of education, it being like, you know, you won't need a college degree. I said, look, there's going to be at least a 20, 30 year lag between white folks and those other people in the majority not getting degrees and black people not getting degrees because right. that's not where we're at man like right you know like, to your point about graduate degrees it's hard enough for me to do the things like when people meet me and I, and I tell them about the things that I do people just assume that I have a graduate degree Chris they, mm -hmm. and so when I tell them and I don't there's a little bit of a look that I get right, right. 
And that's just me with my little old bachelor's. I can't, when I say I can't imagine, I'm saying I literally cannot imagine being, being able to do the things that I, I've done with no college degree. And I think about my siblings, all of them are going to college. Now, are they going to go and do their, <laughs> they're going to go to community college? Sure. They're going to, they, you know, and they'll mix it up or whatever. But right, the, the right. point is they're going to have a degree. Like that's not a debate at all. Um, yep. so yeah, no, I mean, I'm right there with you. It's funny. Um, I want to react to something else you said about just like rushing. Right. So mm. I got married and closed on a house within a week of each other. And I was 23. Wow. That's <laughs> I mean, was, Hey, look, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying it to, no, I'm not saying to argue with you. I'm saying <laughs> I've told people before I was like, look, so I love my wife. Like I told, you know, we talked about before I have a four month old. Yep, very yep. thankful for the life I have and don't regret getting married. Don't regret getting married in the time I did, but I do regret the timing of how I did that. Right. Like, mm-hmm. so I, the spirit of what you're saying, I receive and I respect because I think I was so excited to, you know, I graduated college a year early and I was excited just to like get to work and stuff. But like now I'm 30, like this is here now. Like that, like yeah. I was rushing to get to this and I'm about to be doing this. You know, I mean, shoot, even if I hit a lick, I'm going to at least be doing it for another 15 years. Right. So it's like there wouldn't have been harm. And I remember at the time there were people who were like, why are you moving so fast? And I kind of felt, you know, it's that young. Some of of it has to do with also being a black man, kind of like, man, you're talking about telling me what to do. I got this. I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But like I look back and I'm like, you know what? No, like they were right to ask. They were definitely right to at the very least ask. And when you look at the statistics of how these things typically go, I'm not common. So it's super fair for them to ask and challenge and question if I was doing the right things. Um, So I'm right there with you. Let me ask you this. Let's get back to Bloomberg LP again. What are you excited about achieving in the next 12 months? Yeah, I think, you know, most important is to capitalize on this moment. You know, we've talked a lot about the moment today. Right. And I want to capitalize on it. I want to build more equity across all dimensions of diversity in our organization. And I want to hold our leaders accountable for all that they say they're going to do. So, you know, look, all these organizations. Right. I'm sure you've read all the statements that have been made and right. all the ads <laughs> that have been out about what we're going to do and this, that and the third. Right. And, and it's great. Right. And and we put out a great statement. Bloomberg put out a really great statement. But believe, you know, my job is to hold our leaders accountable. And that is my plan. You know, it's it's we've got very detailed plans in place against which we're going to you know measure success. And and that's that's really my push. Right. If I if I look up, you know, we're you know, we have this conversation again next summer and I'm getting ready to go on vacation. You know, I want to be able to sit and say, you know, look, here was the plan. Here was the five things they said they were going to do. And four out of the five are done. And the fifth one is on the way. Right. So right. It, it is really taking again. You know, you hate that the moment exists. Right. But, sure. you know, capitalizing on the moment. Right. And really holding leaders feet to the fire, holding the organization's feet to the fire to to drive this notion of equity in our organization to build a more inclusive organization. And look, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. You know, I think we do it pretty well, but there's always room to do more, always room to do more. And and my plan is to certainly make sure that that in the next 12 months, we're going to really push hard on closing that gap of doing more. Chris, it's been a dope conversation. I mean, I'm going to say so, you know, living corporate as a platform, we're independent, which gives me freedom to like speak frankly so let me <laughs> yeah, yeah. so let me let me say this you know i was nervous 
I was nervous about this one. I was excited, but I was also a little kind of like, let's see. You know, I mean, you're not really Hollywood at all. You didn't really give me that Heisman kind of corporatized <laughs> ants, and I appreciate that. You know, I didn't know, I didn't know if Mike Bloomberg is going to kind of swoop in and try to, you know, tell me to stop talking. And I appreciate, yeah. I, I appreciate you. I appreciate it. this. Has been genuinely a franker discussion than that I've had with others off mic even. So before we let you go though, um, yeah. any parting words or shout outs, man? Parting words. Um, look, man, I, I would just say um, to, to your listeners, you know, this is a unique moment, I think, for us as black people to advocate for ourselves, to push for more, to drive for a more inclusive world and more inclusive organizations in which we work. And so we should certainly do that. Take advantage of this moment. I would say get out and vote. Mm-hmm. If you do nothing else to the point that you made, you know, this will be the most important election in our lives. Right. My first vote, quite frankly, was for Jesse Jackson in 1988. That's oh, first wow. Time I oh, wow. Power to you. That's and dope. So- <laughs> That's a dope thing to say, though. And I don't miss elections. I don't miss elections because my mother marched in 1965 in Alabama. And got bust upside the head for marching. And Mm. so I don't miss elections. I don't miss small elections. I don't miss big elections. I don't miss elections. And so people fought and died for our right to vote. And I know there's, you know, if the the guy you didn't want running is not there, that doesn't matter. Elections are binary. Black people, we don't ever have the choice or very rarely do we have the choice to vote with our hearts. We often have vote with our heads right and so i would implore all of you listening to go and vote with your heads in this election yes and then you know the last thing just you know you talk about shout outs i'm going to quote a one of my favorite hip-hop songs and there's a part that goes mom and dad they knew the time and my mom and dad have prepared me well for this life i'm fortunate that even as i'm 50 years old now my mom and dad are still here and and they still provide me with the guidance and the the uplift to go out and do what I do every day. So more than anything, I want to shout them out and thank them for, for giving me that. And thank you for having me on. Man. Uh, yo, so thank you. And shout out to top billing. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and yeah, look, y'all, this has been uh Zach live corporate. You know, we do. We're having conversations every single week with, you know, executives, thought leaders, public officials, influencers, activists, professors, anybody really um, with the goal of centering and amplifying marginalized voices at work you know where we're at i'm not about to list all the names man you know we're all over beyonce's internet type in living corporate will pop up till next time this has been zach you've been listening to chris michelle executive mentor advocate leader peace Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.